Welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So next week's sequel that we're going to be covering is one of the greatest sequels of all time, according to Jamie. I haven't seen this movie in years, so I'll take his word for it. And that is Superman 2. And we were lucky enough to interview the man who plays non in the movie. Doesn't say a word, but his size and presence in this movie is phenomenal. And that is actor, boxer, and author Jack O'Halloran. Man, when I do the research for these people, you know the movies they're in. It's on IMDb. It's easy. Superman, King Kong, Hero in the Terror, a canon movie classic. He goes toe-to-toe with Chuck Norris, Dragnet. But his boxing career, even people that don't know boxing will know the names when he tells the stories from his boxing career. We talked about growing up outside of Philadelphia and New Jersey and just so much more. And, of course, his book, it's called Family Legacy. It talks about his father, Albert Anastasia, Google the name, huge mafia ties in New Jersey, and just the stories that he has to tell about that. So that book, I'll put the I'll put the link in the notes so you can check that out. But that's familylegacythenovel.com. So I'm gonna shut my yapper. But before I start the interview, please subscribe wherever you're listening, wherever on any podcast. Please subscribe. It helps us out. And rate us, give us some stars. Five would be great. I'll take anything. <laughs> so here is actor, boxer, and author, Jack O'Halloran. You're a Jersey guy, right? Uh, well, I was born in Philly, but I lived in New Jersey as well, yeah. Okay, like that that's like Philadelphia, New Jersey, like south of Cherry Hill? Yeah, they built the Walton Bridge back in the in the 50, late 50s, and we everybody ran over to South Jersey, so... I actually graduated high school from, I lived in Belmar, off the, off the Black Horse Pike. Oh, look at that. Is that where uh, Mike Trout's from around that area? Probably, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. Yeah, I'm from like more central Jersey. What part of Jersey are you from? Uh, South Plainfield, near like Edison. Oh, yeah. I know it's, I know where it's at, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to be able to chat with the folks and find out how they got started and things they did. And obviously acting was something you did after you had a first love. So uh, how'd you get into boxing? I was actually playing football. And uh, when I was at that age, you, you couldn't play. If you played a professional sport, you couldn't play an amateur sport. So I was, uh, and, and I had to wait for, you had to wait for your class to graduate before you could play pro ball. You couldn't, you didn't have hardship cases where you left out of, after one year you had to wait till your class actually graduated. So oh, wow. I was picked up Webb Eubank up in the Jets. No way. And, I, and when I got eligible to play, I played for a year uh, on what they call like a farm team, semi-pro team for the Jets down in Philly in Tinicum. Uh, it was uh, Jimmy Christie and his brother Dick Christie played there. A lot of guys played while they were waiting to go up into the pros. Anyway, by the time I uh, – Philadelphia – had uh, a hell of a team, and and I um, I said I would have wanted to go down and play for Philly when I was eligible. Then Jerry Wallman bought the team, and then he hired some clown, Joe Q. Harrick, and Q. Harrick traded a championship team away in about two months. Traded Jurgensen and uh, Tommy yeah. McDonald or Norman Sneed and linebacker. I mean, it was just terrible. So I just said, you know, and Ali had just won the title, and I said, I can beat that guy. And people say, well, that's a good idea. And they put me in the gym in South Philly. And 
So I never boxed amateur. I just went right into the pros. Whoa. How long did you train before your first fight? About five months. Oh, wow. I had to come down. I weighed about, when I was playing ball, I weighed around 280. So they brought me all the way down to like 230. Damn. So, so uh, you you had a pretty good start to your career. You started off sixteen and zero. What did it feel like the first time that you had like a knockout? What was that feeling? I, you know, it's just like like old school. I never lost a fight in the street in my life. So, <laughs> was never. Uh, it was just like walking down the street. You know, I had my first fight. I think it was in Reading, Pennsylvania. I knocked a guy out in seventy six seconds or something. Damn. Jack, I'm pretty surprised that anybody would mess with you growing up at six. You're six foot six, right? Yeah, six huh. six. <laughs> How do I feel bad for the guy that tried to pick on you? <laughs> well, you know, I just uh, it was a well, you know, we come up in the streets in Philly. You know, it was a tough neighborhood, so it was land of survival. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had some pretty good teachers when I was a kid, so I, you know, I had some good people around me, but. And I, uh, and boxing, I, you know, I, I, when I was, I was uh, undefeated and then they, they doctors, they did some physical thing. They found out that I had a disease called acromeglia, which is a tumor of the pituitary. And they, they told me I shouldn't be fighting at all. And I said, I just kept on going. It didn't bother me. I didn't care. And then they finally, at the end, I had to get it fixed. I went to San Diego and I, um, when I uh, when I won the California heavyweight title, I stayed in San Diego and had to fight Norton and stayed there. And you know, and the, the doctor and I became good friends. And he said, you know, either you go to Scripps and get a workup around pulling your boxing license because this disease will kill you. And I said, yeah, okay. So I I went and they they said it was uh, pretty pretty active. And so I wound up going to the Mass General and having it fixed and. Uh, and then I uh, retired from boxing, and they, I had turned down the movies like three or four times. Uh, when Steve McQueen was doing the Thomas Crown Affair in Boston, he wanted me to to quit boxing and, and come in the movie business with him. Wow. He would be good friends, and I passed. And then they, I had just knocked out Manuel Ramos in L.A. in 68, and they offered me the great white hope. And I turned it down with James Earl Jones and because uh, I figured I was up for a title fight and they wanted me to go to Spain for six months. So I said, I don't think so. So I turned that down and they uh, then they they offered me Farewell My Lovely with Robert Mitchum. And I said, well, I think it's probably about time. So it's all Mitchum's fault. <laughs> it's pretty wild that, that while you're doing that, these people were like, hey, you know, we want you to be in this movie, especially like a guy like Steve McQueen. And you're like, no, I want to keep doing it because you love what you were doing. Uh, Steve was a good guy. He really, he, uh, he and I get on really well. We, That's cool. we looked after him in Boston when he was doing Tom's Crown Affair. And he, and he said, you got to come in. You got to come to Hollywood. And then when I was out here and I turned down the Great White Hope, he called me on the phone. He said, what is wrong with you? <laughs> he said, we want you to come to Hollywood. Blah, blah, blah. I said, nah, I'm not ready yet. So... And when I did Farewell with My Lovely, you know, it, it all seemed to click together. And it, was, it was good. That's awesome. And then from there, you're, everything, you know, kind of took off from there. We did King Kong and uh, Jessica Lange and, and the Superman movies came out and was turning down movies in between. I 
they wanted me to do a film with uh, Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, which I should have done. I had a break period in King Kong, and they, they wanted me to go up and do this Silver Streak. Oh, yeah. I, I turned down like six pictures. Richard Keel got them, and that was his career. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it worked out okay. It was all right. Let's talk like a little bit of Superman. So you get the first Superman role. Were you like a con- you know, you're, you're a tough guy, football, boxer. Were you like a fan of like Superman, the TV show or the comics at all? Jackie Gleason was a friend of mine and he did the picture called Gigo and won an Oscar. And I said, if I ever get a chance to, to do a role where I can use facial and body language, I want to do it. So, uh, non was a perfect character because you had Sarah, was a man-eater, and Terrence was a was a vicious general. Somebody had to relate to the children because of a big children audience. And so I played this really brutish, vicious guy like a child, learning how to lose my eyes and, and stuff like that. And it, and it worked very well. That's so cool. And then, you know, obviously, you know, there's, they shot a lot of the second one. Well, that was the, the plan to use a lot of that second movie. What was it like working with like Richard Donner and then? Well, you know, it was like night and day. I mean, Donner was Donner was a brilliant director. Richard was like a television director. You know, it was very sad because he, you know, the uh, if they would have let Donner finish two, because he had already done like eighty six percent of it, if they had let him finish two, he would have done three, four, and five. Would have been a different franchise. I bet definitely. Kinds or, you know, they, they was very foolish what they did. They, uh, they had come up with 20 excuses, but they, they just were, they didn't want to pay people. So they, they and they owed Lester a picture. So they, they got him for cheaper than, than what Donner was there for, I guess. And I mean, I, I blame Christopher. Christopher should have turned around and said, you know what? No Donner, no me. Yeah. And because Hackman never came back. Hackman said, you know, no Donner, no me. So they um, they worked around that, and uh, you know because we had shot so much footage already, which we were shooting one and two together. Actually, we got cooked into two. We had to stop so we could get one out so they could get the the first film out. What's that like, like on set with like you and the other actors, like knowing like the big changes happen? There's got to be some kind of like. Well, it was some people weren't happy, but you know, the other people just it's that's that's uh, the film industry. So, you know, you just got on with your job, and, and you know, Superman two didn't turn out all that bad. Just it had a little bit more comedy, but I liked the Donner cut much better. Yeah, no, definitely. So, so how was it like working with all those actors? You had like Brando, Hackman, Christopher Reeve, Ned Beatty, Jackie Cooper, like all these heavyweights. We uh, well, Christopher was his first movie. Yeah. So he was like a you know kid coming out of the ballpark, and uh, but you know, I, and I was second film I done with Hackman, and Brando was great. Brando and I got on really well, and oh, that's cool. And yeah, you know, we had a great. I mean, you worked three years with a crew of people. Valerie Perrine was great. Uh, Terrence Stamp is a great actor. Sarah is a very good actor. Uh, we had a great crew. I mean, the, the, the cast was, was brilliant all the way down to, you know, the, 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 the cameos. There was a lot of great actors that were involved. So we had, a, we had a good time. We had, it was, it was, it was like, uh, old home week, you know? 
Yeah, especially like you said, three years is not much to do. You're you're on that for most of the time. Yeah, I mean, Margot Kidder was super. You know, we we just we had a lot of fun together. We, we you know we we ate a lot of dinners together. We hung out together. It was it was good. Where where was that mostly filmed? In London. Oh, nice. How was that? It was good. You know, we worked out of Pinewood Studios. Most of it was done there. And there was some done in San Francisco, a little bit done in Canada, but most of it was done in England. You fought over there a few times. Did Were you recognized when you were like out at the pub or out to dinner? Oh, yeah. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I had some good fights over in England. Wow. That's awesome. So, yeah, so that, I know those are some cool Superman stories. And that, that's like a role of, a, you know, that movie is going to stand the test of time forever. We broke a lot of technology rules when we did Superman. I mean, the flying shots are, were brilliant. And they, uh, you know, we shot VistaVision on VistaVision. It was better than CGI, and it worked really well. Very long and tedious, but it worked extremely well. That's awesome. So, so in the 80s, you, were on, you had some like, guest starring roles on a lot of shows. Was there any role that you had after Superman that you'd say is like your favorite role that you had over the years? I I like Dragnet. Yeah, you know nice. when I did the Dragnet movie with Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd film, and uh, I did a film with Chuck Norris, which uh, was probably the best film that he ever did. And then I did a, a I did a great little movie called Baltimore Bullet with uh, Omar Sharif and J- and Jimmy Coburn. Oh, nice! Which was a, a pool shooting picture. Was which was it's sad that they didn't have the money to publicize it, probably because it was a pretty good movie. What movie was that with Chuck Norris? Hero in the Terror. Oh, cool. I got to check that out. Yeah, Hero in the Terror is not a bad film. So, yeah, then you were in, like, Diagnosis Murder, and then you had a role in the Flintstones movie, and then you took some time off. Well, I wrote a book, and I, you know, I went to England, and I, uh, I lived uh, on the Isle of Man, and I uh, lived in Ireland, and I lived in the Isle of Man, and I, and I wrote a book called Family Legacy. Oh, cool. Uh, which we're getting ready to make a movie out of. And, uh, no way. Yeah, we got three more books coming out. That's a great book. Actually, did very well. So it's. Uh, Is it a biography about your career, or? It's, uh, it's. I had a very famous father. My father was uh, was Albert Anastasia, who was uh, partners with Charlie Luciano and Frank Costello and Meyer Lansky and. Uh, he oh, wow. was probably the most feared Italian ever come in the country. He ran a little company called Murder Inc. And then he was, uh, the Gambino family was the Anastasia family. And my father was assassinated in 57. Then Gambino was his underboss and they became the Gambino family. Whoa. So growing up, did you know all of this or did you find out later in life? Well, I, I, you know, when I was about 14 years old, my father was assassinated. Oh, and, wow. Uh, Sat down with. I was raised by guys like Meyer Lansky and Charlie, you know, Frank Costello. So I, uh, you know, I yeah, I knew a lot about him. Yeah. Wow. North Jersey. I spent a lot of time in North Jersey, Montclair. Oh, really? Okay, I'm not too far from there, but yeah, look at that. Wow, that's unbelievable. So, uh, how is the? That's pretty cool. So you're gonna like produce the movie? Or are you gonna? Is there a director? Anybody attached? putting it all together right now and it's uh it's gonna be it'll be bigger than the godfather it's a, we're telling the true story about a lot of things and it's gonna and the book's a great book and you know if people 
want, they just go to familylegacythenovel.com, and it's uh, everything's right there. So, yeah, I have the link for uh, Amazon. So I'll put both of them into the notes, and when I put it out there so people can check it out, I'm going to – I have a Kindle, so I'm going to get a, get it on Kindle and check it out. That's pretty cool. That's a great read. You'll enjoy the read. It's a good read. So what would you like about, like, the whole writing process? I, uh, I, it, it, you know, I, I've, I've written, I have a great script that I wrote called uh, Ballad of a Simple Man, which is the old informer, which was done by John Ford back in the 30s. And we're getting ready to do that in Ireland. And I wrote that about 40 years ago. So writing seemed to come kind of easy for me. And I have a ghostwriter in England that I do books with. And he's, uh, he's, he's I do talk, I talk, he writes. You know, we oh, put okay. it together. I give him all the outlines and everything and, and stuff that I want to do and where I want to take it. And, and between the two of us, it works out pretty good. So were you able to, so when you're doing a lot of research on this, was that like, I'm sure you let, you learned a lot when, you know, when your father well, the research is, was my own living experience. And, uh, when I sent uh, the ghostwriter to libraries to look certain things up, he was amazed that, wow. that the, didn't know it. He said, it's a, it's all there in black and white. How could people not know this? And so we, we, we just filled in a lot of blanks and told a lot of truth about things. So the first book is from my father's death to the Kennedy assassination. And I tell the truth about the Kennedy assassination. And it's a, so there's a lot of, lot of true stories. It's like, they just came out with this picture of the Irishman, which is total bullshit. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's uh uh, I knew Frank Sheeran very well. He's from Philadelphia. And, uh, and I knew Russell Buffalino very well. He was a good friend of my father's. And Russell was from Buffalo originally. And Frank Sheeran never killed Hoffa, and he never killed Joe Gallo. So they, what they did was they took advantage of the public because all these all these things are hanging in the air. Everybody's been waiting for answers for it. So they, they answered questions, but they didn't answer them correctly. So it's... Uh, it's uh, they 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 did a Hollywood advantage deal. So we're going to tell the truth about a lot of things that happened and how. You know what people don't understand is that in the beginning, uh, government, industry, uh, unions, and organized crime were all partners for a lot of years. You know yeah, they. Sure. The illicit monies that they made through gambling and, and loan sharking and extortion, they put back into the public. They put back into society. They made sure people had jobs. They, my father ran all the waterfronts, and so they ran the unions, and they had the construction unions, and they had steel workers, and uh, you know, so they a lot of a lot of revenue stream they put back to the growth of a country, and nobody ever talks about that. Wow. So we're going to tell the about a lot of it, you know? That'll be cool. So when, when's like a time frame that you want to be able to get that out there? This year. We're going to have the film will be out this year. We're, we're very close to buttoning down all the all the points of it now and getting ready to roll. Once we roll, you know, the film will be done, the television will be done because they'll both complement each other. And then the, the other books will come out one after the other every six months. And, you know, we'll do a film off of each book. That's awesome. And how are you going to release the film? Is it going to be like a wide release or like a streaming yeah, service? It'll be, it'll be a wide, wide release. That's yeah. so cool, man. Good for you. That's really neat. Yeah. Very excited. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's so funny. Like a lot of times you see people in a movie or like bar, you know, you and your boxing career and you don't know a lot of these stories just by looking at that. So that's pretty fascinating. So are the other books already written? Pretty much, you know, the outlines are all done. We know where we're going with them, you know, and so it's, you know, we're just going to take different periods of time and, and fill in a lot of the blanks, you know? Yeah. I'll check out for them and I'll definitely read your, the book that's out now, family legacy. One thing I have to ask you, and I was looking at all your uh, like bios on different websites. It's pretty yeah. cool. You're in the NJ Boxing Hall of Fame. Yeah, I was in California Hall of Fame, but New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New England. Yeah. So one thing I read on there was you got a. Is that true? You got a phone call from Muhammad Ali. <laughs> yeah, Ali was Ali and I were good friends, and he he was um, he had moved into Cherry Hill. He bought a house in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. No was, way. And he was with uh, a guy called Gene Kilroy. was was the guy that was around him a lot. And they called me from the car, and he and he said, "You you have to do me a favor." And I said, "Yeah, well, I'll do you a favor. Sign a contract to fight me." He said, "Yeah, we'll work that out." He said, "But you're you're fighting my brother Rockman. Get him out of boxing." He's you know. So I said, "You're Rockman Ali's your brother?" And he said, "Yeah." So I said, "I was fi- I was fighting him in San Diego." I said, "Oh shit! I better go in the gym a couple of days." <laughs> Knocked his brother out. He never fought again. Uh, I knocked him out. <laughs> then he and I were supposed to, when he fought Norton, he was supposed to fight me. But that's another story. We were all signed and everything. We had a deal put together. and But uh, Norton was owned by some very wealthy people. You know, Bob Byron and Art Rifkin. And they uh, took $3 million. They went to Chicago and they gave it to Herbert Muhammad and Ali called me on the phone. He was crying, actually. He said, I don't, I don't know how to tell you this, but, you know, I, I don't have any control over it. So, and he fought Norton in San Diego. And then we were supposed to fight in Australia when he fought Bugner. And then we were supposed to fight another time somewhere. But it just never seemed to materialize for well, one reason or another. Were you, were you friends with anyone else that you fought? I wonder how that is, like being friends with somebody and then going in the ring and trying to knock their brains in. I, you know, it's, it's a sport. Yeah, now I know. I was friends with a lot of guys I fought, but, uh, you know, there was very few that I really disliked that much. Uh, Foreman and I were good friends, you know. Norton and I were good friends, you know. And you fought Norton, right? I beat Norton in San Diego. They gave him a decision, and he knew it. They would never fight me again. Oh. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, in fact, I could have... Actually, could have sat on a stool in the ninth round and won the fight. The ninth round, it was a great fight. He and I had a brilliant fight, and you know, people were standing on the chairs screaming so loud that when they rang the bell at the end of the ninth round, nobody could hear it. They rang it twice, three times. <laughs> finally, separated us, and I was going back to my corner. He ran across the ring and hit me behind the head. Oh my God! Into the ring post, and the commissioner Joey Almas jumped up in the corner and said. If you can't continue, you just won the fight. And I was angry. I said, 
continue. I'm going to kill this clown. <laughs> and I should have realized I'm in San Diego, his hometown. But but I won the town over. I, you know, the, the people, I just, uh, I stayed there and I won the California title. And I, I beat a guy, Henry Clark, that nobody wanted to fight from San Francisco. He was a pretty good fighter. I'm sure you got to fight, obviously, in front of your home crowd. But what was it like? Like you said, you fought him in his hometown. I'm sure you fought somebody that was English when you fought in England. What is that like, like going into enemy territory? I had a lot of friends in, in London, you know, so I uh, – and Bugner, the Bugner fight was a joke. I mean, I I, I was had Bugner out on his feet. I was supposed to be a – we fought at Albert Hall, and it was a, we were the headline. So it was a 10-round fight, supposedly. Yeah. And, they, and Ricky Duff stopped it at the end of the eighth round. <laughs> they, I remember when the bell rang, and they said, well, that's it. The fight's over. I said, what are you talking about? We had two more rounds to go. He said, no, nah, fight's over. Eighth round, boom, eight-round fight. And they stole a quarter of a point. No one ever heard of this before in England. Bugger won the fight by a quarter of a point. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. It was a trip. But he... Uh, and he would never fight me, guys. And I beat Carl Gizzy, and I beat Danny McAlinden. So I beat some pretty good people in the Governor House. Carl Gizzy was a champ of Wales, and he was a hell of a fighter. And uh, Danny McAlinden was uh, the uh, British Empire champion, and uh, and he was undefeated. So I, I beat him in, in the Governor House. It was good. Jack, this has been awesome, and I'll make sure that I send people and people I know, I'll definitely tell them to check out Family Legacy. Because, you know, being in Jersey, like, that's a big thing. You know, the, the mafia, the mob, people love oh, it. Oh, yeah, I was, like and I was raised amongst all of them up yeah. in North York. And, you know, this, uh, it was, it was, there were better times when they were on the streets. I'll tell you, you know, when, uh, you know, I I'd often tell people that's when, you know, when I was a kid and raised in Philadelphia, we never locked our front doors. No, I'm sure. You know, yeah. people, neighborhoods were a lot safer. Kids played in the street from sun up to sundown. Nobody ever bothered anybody. They never drive by shootings, stuff like that. And you know, it's uh, so I, when when uh, when neighborhoods were controlled by people, they were a lot safer. Yeah, you know? a lot different way of life. But you know, it is what it is. So. A lot of changes in our, in our society, unfortunately. No, I know, definitely. But uh, no, that's cool. I, I, I don't want you to spoil anything. You mentioned the JFK assassination, but that's in, the, that's in this book, the first book? Yeah. All right, cool. I, I don't want you to spoil it on here, but I'll definitely check that out. I'm fascinated with the whole JFK and everything that, all the theories and everything that comes around it. So I can't wait to see what... Uh, so much malarkey that they... You know that they spread around and stuff, and you, know, you just have to. If you were, if you understood the time, if you were there during that time, and you, I was in Dallas, so I was, uh, you know, I, I was at the party the night before at uh, Clint Murchison Jr.'s house. Really, and I was there on the premise that I was going to play football for the Dallas Cowboys because he owned the Cowboys and. And but Meyer Lansky had set up because he wanted me to go there. It was a learning exercise to see who was there, and uh, I met a lot of very very influential people that night. It was a uh, it was it was a learning experience, but it's for damn sure. That's wild that you were there. Yeah, the night before I was there. I was there the following morning, and they got me out of town. I was, you know, I was. Uh, but that's in the book, and it's, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, people 
have this fixation as to how Kennedy died and who killed him and stuff like that. And, you know, you have to look at things in a, in a very open-minded, if you, if, you, if you were going to blame one person for Jack Kennedy's death, you'd, you'd have to look at his father. I mean, he's, uh, his father would rather see him die the way he died than to die from a sickness. And Jack was, was he wouldn't have lived out his term. He was dying of four different diseases. They used oh, to wow. shoot him up every day. He was dying of Addison's disease, which is a total deterioration of your spinal cord. He had syphilis and two other diseases. So he was not in great physical shape. And, um, you know, when he went to Texas, he should never have even went down there the way he did with an open car and stuff. And, and four people had went to see his brother, and you know, the, when you say who was the number one cop in the country when Kennedy got killed and everybody thinks it was Hoover, it wasn't Hoover, it was his brother, it was the attorney general. And four people went to see him, one of them, Adlai Stevenson, and said, do not let your brother go to Texas. The animosity down there is horrendous. They were down and they were spitting at me in Houston and it's just not a good time to go there. And then to go there in an open car, you know, was... Uh, so there was a lot of things that happened that day that uh, that were big flag raisers that nobody ever you know really took a look at. So you know it's uh, it was um, I like Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a great politician. It's just unfortunate his father had a lot of control over him. He uh, it made a lot of people very angry. You know, so you when you sit down and say who was the actual person who. Who killed them? Everybody blamed the mafia, and it wasn't them. They were uh, there were four factions of people who had an animosities that you could blame it on, but um, the biggest animosity was from Europe because of uh, what Joe Kennedy did during the crash and hurt a lot of people. Wow! And they never forgot it. And you know, and the the, the bankers of Geneva were kind of unforgiving people. So they orchestrated something that took them a while to orchestrate it, but they did what they did, you know. It's uh, and and when you look at it, you know, the whole Oswald thing was total bull. Oswald never killed Kennedy. Kennedy was shot three times that day, and they and that took ten years or fifteen years before all that came out. First shot hit him in the throat when he grabbed his throat and he fell forward. First first shot that was fired was there was I think. 13 shots fired that day. First one hit Conley, and Conley fell, and then Jack fell on top of Conley, and then he got shot in his lower back, and they never talked about that. And then the third shot, the driver took, turned around and shot him, and you see Kennedy fly backwards. Oh, wow. The back of his head comes out. Now, you can't do that shot from a window from behind him. Even the shots from the window, I don't know if you ever watched, uh, I know you know Jesse Ventura, but he had a show and he tried to reenact it, and he is like, uh, I don't know what military term it is, but he's like a great, he's like a sharpshooter from his time in the military, and he yeah. even, he couldn't like even come close to landing those shots, and Oswald wasn't a good shot. I'll give you a very simple analogy. Yeah. Number one, the rifle that was used was, was store-bought. It was a mail order, okay? And it was a bolt-action rifle, okay? Now, you're shooting a shot. Anybody who knows anything about rifles or shooting at all, there's where Jesse was very, very accurate on. If you're shooting a shot of a 1,000 yards, 
and you're shooting it in Dealey Plaza. The wind was terrible down there. In fact, it was so bad that the microphones on the police cars, nobody could hear them or anything because it was a derelict. It was a, it was a wind tunnel there. So you have trees, signs, a, a vehicle that's, that's going on a downgrade and, and moving it, and you have wind. So to, for you as a, as a marksman, shooting a shot of a 1,000 feet like that, you have to, A, arrest your heartbeat because your pulse is in your finger. So it takes you 60 seconds to get yourself arrested properly and to take the shot, period, all right? So to say that you shot three bolt-action shots in 28 seconds is totally ludicrous. Yeah. That's all somebody did was make a noise out of the window. And the window, there was three people sitting in that window, two of them dark-complected. And there was a jail directly across from there. You understand? And these yeah. guys were looking right in that window. Oswald wasn't even in the window. And you have a president of the United States in an open car below on the street, below the bird building there, and the windows are all open and people are moving all around, and you have the president of the United States. That Secret Service would, should never have allowed that at all. Period. Yeah, I bet you if you look back, I, I'm sure they never did that with the president before that. I wonder why. Well, they never would. It, never, it, it, it just wouldn't be, it's not protocol. And then to have all those guys coming off the train or walking over the bridge where the car was going underneath. You understand? Yeah. And they were, one of them was Woody Harrelson's father, who was a hitman for New Orleans. Some guy told us that me and my wife, we, we moved from Jersey to Oregon and then we moved back since then, but we stopped in Dallas and a guy that we paid five bucks for some like uh, newspaper he had, he told us a story. And when he mentioned Woody Harrelson's dad, I was like, what? But no, that's it crazy. Man for Carlos Marcellus out of New Orleans. In fact, there were, there were 13 people there that could have killed anybody. And, and <laughs> you had the, the first shot that hit Kennedy came from a cauldron alongside the street, which they have since cemented in. And the cauldron went from the river to the street, and it was big enough for me to walk down. You understand? That's big. That's big. So, the, the tunnel, in other words, I could walk down it. And Johnny Roselli took the first shot from there to hit Kennedy in the throat. That's wild. And I know that for a fact. And, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's the, the whole, the whole thing, the whole Warren Commission was total bullshit. You know, the, the, they spent all that time on the Warren Commission, all that stuff. And, you know, when they grabbed Jack Ruby and they sat him down for the Warren Commission, and the first thing the guy Ruby said to them was, oh, I guess you wanted me to tell you about Chicago and stuff. They said, no. And he said, well, you can't question me here. You got to get me out of Dallas. This is not a good place to do this. And uh, they shot him up with cancer. He died in jail six months later, died of cancer. Wow. And they, when you see Oswald, when he, they, Oswald, they never taped one interview with him. They never wrote anything down. And when he came out into the garage with the sheriff and the other guy alongside of him, you see the footage, the guy steps away from him as Ruby comes up to shoot him. That's insane. I've seen that so many times. I have to watch it again as soon as we're done. Just watch, watch how the guy steps, steps away from him. I will. And like almost pushes him in line of getting shot. Oh, wow. 
And the fact that Ruby even got into the place with a gun on him was amazing. That is true, yeah. I don't know how they would let it go. The whole nine yards is, is bullshit. You know, when you, when you turn around and you look at all the componentries and the pieces, and then you got to look at the animosities that were put in place. You know, there was uh, a lot of things that went on that made a lot of people very unhappy. And, you know, you, you had... You had um, all the oil guys down there, they had what they called surplus oil that they sold on the market and they never paid tax on it. So they made a lot of money from it. And when Jack Kennedy was uh, elected president, one of the first things his father said to him was, you have to levy a tax on those wealthy guys down there in Texas on this surplus oil. And that cost them over you know, $100, $200 million a year. So they weren't too happy about all that. (laughs) And a lot of things that were not, a lot of animosities went on down there. So, you know, you had a lot of finger pointing to do. And, you know, people, uh, it wasn't such a simple deal as as, uh, what they made it out to be that Oswald took a shot and killed the president. That's that's all bullshit. But people bought it. Oh, no, I know. The power of the media, what the media did, and, you know, the way they played it up and the whole Warren Commission and everything, you know, it's just, uh, and the Warren Commission is written by a bunch of Yaleys. Crazy. Well, I, well, I have some reading to do definitely, but, uh, yeah. So I can't wait to be able to see the movie when it comes out and then the books that come out after that. And then, then the, the more films you're going to make. So Jack, thanks so much for taking the time. This has been awesome. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. All right, man. Take we'll care. keep in touch. All right. Be well. Man, wasn't Jack mind-blowing? We did this interview a while back, just before the, the pandemic. And listening back, oh my God, I was mind-blown. My jaw was on the floor once again when it came to his stories about JFK and being there the night before. So he was going to play for the Cowboys. Ugh. And just his stories about Superman, the set. Man, Jack was a great guy. Again, his book is Family Legacy, the novel. And you could check that out at familylegacythenovel.com. I'll put that in the episode notes so you could check it out. And now, don't forget your homework. Your homework is so much fun. Superman 2, one of the greatest sequels of all time. It was the last great one in the franchise. Canon bought the rights to it. Three and four were all over the place. Still fun movies to watch. So you got to do that. And don't forget to review rate share our podcast follow us on all social media at sequels only and don't forget to check out our website sequels good night